So Money, episode 196, Ask Farnoosh. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome back to Ask Farnoosh, everyone. It's Sunday, time for part two of Ask Farnoosh. Got to a lot of questions yesterday, several more to address today. We've got questions about umbrella liability insurance. You've got a question about whether to pay off the second car, questions about investing in a Roth IRA. Let's get to it. Let's not waste any time and just start with our first question here from Scott, who says, umbrella liability insurance, good idea or waste of money? Okay, so what is umbrella insurance? Well, it's basically a type of insurance that gives you extra liability coverage. It goes above and beyond your existing auto or homeowner's policy. And the idea is that if there ever is an accident, an incident on your property, and the person that was involved in the accident or the incident wants to sue you, then uh, if the suit exceeds the uh, limits of your homeowner's policy, of your auto policy, then your personal umbrella policy will kick in and protect you above and beyond. And so the lawsuit potentially doesn't have to touch any of your existing assets or your future assets. My financial advisor actually suggests that I get one of these policies. I don't think it's for everybody, but my FA basically said to me, look, you're a public figure. If somebody comes over your house, slips and falls, and they're wanting to sue you and they think that you have all this money, they might be tempted to sue you. You should get the liability insurance and that way you will be protected in the event that they come after you. And it was only because I, she thought, you know, I do have people coming over from time to time that aren't my friends, that aren't people who live here. They come here to work. They come here to, you know, clean my home. They come here to fix things. And so if those accidents happen on my property and they think, oh, well, you know, Farnoosh, she's got a podcast. She must be loaded and they go after her, which by the way, is not the case. Um, they could. And so the, but the liability insurance, the umbrella policy, the extra insurance would help me in that event uh, in, in case they come after me for boatloads of money and it's above and beyond what my other um, insurance policies, my homeowner's policy covers. So no, no, it's not for everybody. You have to really think about what is the likelihood that this would happen to me, that somebody might come after me because of a slip and fall in my home or, um, an accident within with my car. So any accident that has happens with your property, whether, and I think it covers home, car, and a boat. Not everybody has a boat. So it's really an individual case. And I would say on average, this is not for everybody. Lindsay says, my husband and I have about $30,000 in savings. We recently sold our home, then paid off one car with the money that we made. Since then, we've sold that vehicle and we're now trying to decide if we should pay off our second vehicle or keep the money in savings. Okay, Lindsay, so you have $30,000 in savings. What does this equate to? If you were not to work for the next six to nine months, would this $30,000 be enough? 
If the answer is no, then I would say put the extra money in savings. If the answer is yes, then okay, maybe it's time to look at paying off some of your other outstanding debts or liabilities, including this second vehicle and you've got a car loan against it. I'm not sure what the interest rate is, but if it's really low, then maybe it's not urgent. Maybe you look at saving that money or putting it into retirement where you're going to get more of a return there. So the first thing I would say is just if that $30,000 in savings is not going to be able to stretch far enough to cover you in six to nine months of not working, that's what you want to address first. Maggie says, thank you for answering my question during Ask Farnoosh episode 167. You're welcome. FYI, I decided to invest in my Roth after figuring out that the tax implications were minimal. Ever since I graduated college, I've worked for the federal government. I'm frustrated with the lack of opportunity and promotion potential. However, after nine years in my agency, I'm finding it difficult to find work outside the public sector. Do you have any advice for job seekers looking to make that transition? Thanks. All the best, Maggie. Hmm, Maggie. Well, Maggie, I would say that Sometimes it's not what you do, it's who you know. You've heard this expression, right? So perhaps start talking to other people who work in the private sector, people that you know have made the transition. I'm not someone who has any experience with this, but I do know enough to know that the best people who can help you are those who've been there and done that and can give you some transitional advice. And also people who can help you find jobs. Um, you know, Try to expand your network. Try to spend the next six to 12 months working LinkedIn, working the, the room at cocktail parties, working the room when you go to a networking event, go to job fairs, and maybe working with a job coach, working with a career coach or job placement expert or a recruiter, you know, I think you're going to need some extra help in the form of another person who can give you some guidance, who might even be able to uh, find you new work given all of the skills that you've acquired in the public sector. I mean, just off the top of my head, I'm thinking that as a consultant, as a lobbyist, as somebody who wants to work in the private sector, within the industry that you focused on in the public sector, that might be something as a transition that could work well. Sometimes people go back to school too, to, or take a few extra courses to be able to take what they've learned and experienced in the public sector, add a few more skills, add some more um, savvy skill sets to their resume to then become more marketable in the private sector. But it is doable, you just have to find the right people and maybe learn, pick up a few extra skills to make yourself more marketable in the private sector. Lee says, Farnoosh, I was just offered a new job with a 75% raise and it's right near all my family. All right, Lee, high five. Unfortunately, my boyfriend of four and a half years just broke up with me to focus on himself and figure out what he wants to do career-wise. Hmm. She says, I'm crushed. He felt I was ahead of him in terms of career and independence because he lived at his parents' home while I lived alone 700 miles away from my family. I want to be excited about this new job, but my heart is broken. I'm 22 and I know my career should come first, but I need some sisterly advice about picking up the pieces. Well, Lee, thanks for writing this. I I like when people lean on me for not just money advice, but for all sorts of advice. Because as somebody who has 
worked in the money space for over 10, 12 years, I find that my, a lot of my work does not just, you know, revolve around financial issues. I mean, money is emotional. People talk to me about family and relationships and what you're going through is not fair. I will say it's, it sucks. Um, but you're 22, you know, I wish I was 22 again. I don't know what I would do different, but I know that I definitely wouldn't have waited around for a guy to help inspire me. And I think sometimes life is about timing. Look, I married my husband when I was 32. I had a crush on him since I was 19. And if we had gotten married when we were 22, I guarantee you we would have broken up because we were completely different people at that point. We wanted different things. We hadn't matured entirely. I think I was more mature than my husband at 22. Uh, I'll just say it because, you know, women, we kind of know we want a little faster. I will be very general here. And when you're general, you're always wrong. But I will go out on a limb and say that in general, women, young women tend to know what they want. Um and go after it with very aggressively, uh, more so than, than men. It may take them a little bit longer to figure it out, but they figure it out. It's just, we're different. We're running different races in our twenties and the pace is different and we want different things. And perhaps it's not that this relationship will never work out. Maybe you just both need to take time off from each other and cool off. And he needs to go out there and prove to himself that he can be independent and he can be um, worthy of your love. You know, sometimes for men, they want to be the provider. They want to be the one that is the person who's the most important person to you. And in their head, it's like, I got to be the financial provider. And, and if he's not feeling validated and vindicated and your hero as a result of your, your awesomeness, um, then he needs to work out some things and you don't want to be around for that. You want to be able to let him go and figure it out. And hopefully he smartens up and he comes back with an apology or he comes back with uh, with something to show for his time away from you. Like to say, look, I've, I've bettered myself. I've, I've found my passion. I'm not saying you're going to get back together with this guy or that he deserves you. But I think that it's good that he recognized that he's not worthy of you yet or ever. And consider that he's done you a favor. I know it doesn't feel like a favor. You're heartbroken. But as someone who is... 13 years your elder, who has been heartbroken, who has dated guys who I know felt intimidated by me. Um, it's okay. It, these guys are going to come and go. And, but the good news is that there is a man, not a guy or a boy or a fella. He's a man. He's out there and he is excited to meet you. He's looking specifically for someone like you because he knows that that is what's going to make him happy and he can't wait to support you. Um, and I look forward to you meeting this person and he is out there. Don't settle for less. Okay. And that's my sisterly advice. I hope that wasn't too long winded. Um, but this wasn't a very straightforward question and I don't have a straightforward answer, but I would just say congratulations on your new job. Enjoy this moment in your life. Go out there and date a lot of guys, kiss a lot of boys and have fun. And if this boyfriend comes back and says, I was wrong and I'm sorry and I appreciate you and I support you, be open to that because sometimes it takes guys and men 
some time away to really realize what they're missing and, and that they that they really should have valued you more and that together you could have been a pretty good team and you could have been a really great support system for him. It's a shame. It's too bad for him. But uh, high five to you, Lee, and hugs, virtual hug, okay? Thanks for your question and I appreciate that you opened up to me on, on the podcast. Elizabeth writes in and says, would love to get your take on the recent Time Magazine article, Nip, Tuck, or Else, which claimed to explain why you'll be getting cosmetic procedures, even if you may not really want to, and actually made a huge, uh, flawed, in my opinion, financial argument for cosmetic surgery. My dream podcast episode, would you be discussing this article with Mrs. Money Mustache, who wrote a fantastic post on the topic of appearance-altering expenditures. Thank you so much for your wonderful podcast. Well, thank you, Elizabeth, for writing in. This is an interesting question. I actually went to research this article. I could not read the whole thing because I'm not a subscriber to Time Magazine, nor did I wish to subscribe at this point. So I could only read like the first few paragraphs, but I got the sense of what it was trying to convey. And I mean, I think it's BS that that uh, and it's unfortunate and it's sad and it's all of these horrible things that 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 we would be expected to buy into cosmetic surgery because we feel as though that's the only way we're going to be validated. It's the only way we're going to be able to make money and be accepted in society. I mean, how horrible. And I watched a lot of women on shows like Real Housewives who have obviously gotten a lot of work done. I think it's very laughable. I think it's very obvious. I really, I, I appreciate women who are out there who have not gotten plastic surgery. There is a beauty and a grace to aging. I wish that we would just allow women and men to age naturally and, and embrace the, the natural progression that is getting older. And unfortunately, we live in a very superficial world where we are rewarded for superficial things. And yeah, I guess if you live in Hollywood and you work in an industry that is very image-focused, there's a lot of pressure to get that nip and that tuck and that Botox and that injection. And I can't say that I don't understand this. I totally understand it. I live in this world too. I know that, um, especially even in my industry, there's a lot of emphasis on appearance. And I try not to obsess too much about it, but I find myself also, you know, finding my flaws and and I, I, well, I'm the first to say that, that I am body conscious, but I don't know if I would ever, I, I, the, I, my 30 year old friend the other day was like, Farnoosh, I'm thinking of getting Botox. And I thought, oh no, you know, my smart, beautiful friend thought she should get Botox at 30 because she read that you need to do this as a preventative measure <laughs> so that when you're 40, it'll be a natural progression. I think that's so crazy and scary. And I don't know if I have an answer for you. I just think that it's crazy. I really do. I don't think it's an investment. I mean, if you're in Hollywood and you're going to be trying to audition for roles and the directors and the casting agents want big boobed, small waisted, blonde women, um, and that is your ambition is to be on TV and be in film and, and you think that's the only way you can do it, then I don't know what to say to you. I guess suppose it's worked for people, you know, and that's, it's a hard, it's a hard argument to, to work, to argue against that because it's like, unfortunately that, that is, that system is that the way that is, you know, there are women who get rewarded for that stuff and I wish it weren't that way, but it is. And I don't know, this is really making me depressed, Elizabeth, but it's not your fault. I, I mean, this is an important topic. It's an interesting ongoing debate. What do y'all think? Write into me. Okay. Sabrina, 
says, hey, Farnoosh, would, how would you develop as a solopreneur if you can't do everything by yourself? Proofreading, writing, translation field, but you want to b- expand big time. Would you choose contractors or employees? How to protect your company from client thieves if you let people in? Thanks in advance. Have a wonderful day, Sabrina. Um, Sabrina, I would say do contractors, sites like Odesk, uh, Elance, that you can hire contractors um, to proofread and write and translate. You can also go to Fiverr. You can go to TaskRabbit. I would just do work for hire, you know, by the hour or by the week or by the project. And that way you don't have to um, necessarily, you know, get them on payroll. You just pay them uh, by the project or the, by, by the hour. How do you protect your company from client thieves? Uh, I don't know if you can. And it's just a cost of business. And you should, of course, consult with an attorney once you um, get set up. Do what you can do on your end. If it's dramatic enough and expansive enough where you feel that you need to go after this individual for stealing your um, clients or your work, then you could file a claim. Don't worry so much about that. You know, people um, run this risk every single day, solopreneurs and business owners, but it doesn't stop people from pursuing their dreams. So don't let that be a roadblock for you and good luck. And last question from Annie says, um, my daughter and your son are about the same age. And the other day you mentioned a 529 for him. Have you considered an IRA as his college savings fund? From what I hear, this is the way to go for self-employed parents as it could also lower your taxable income and there are no penalties for withdrawing contributions, whether that be for school or another purpose. Um, Any thoughts on this? Well, I think what you're thinking of is a Roth IRA. With a Roth IRA, you can, after a certain number of years, withdraw your contribution and use it for a, a, an allowable expense. And sometimes that includes, um, you know, college, buying a home, and you can do this penalty free. I like the 529, especially the New York State 529. There are federal tax benefits. Uh, there are state tax benefits, and <clears throat> so I get a lot of tax benefits for my 529 and the portfolio has been doing very well. I hope that my son will go to college and that is the one risk of a 529. He may not go to college. That advantage of with a Roth IRA, not only that you can withdraw the money penalty free before college age, but you could also appropriate that money towards something other than college. Um, but I like the 529, the structure of it. I, I hope that he'll go to college. If not, maybe I'll have another kid who will go to college and that money can be used for him or her. Or maybe in retirement, I'll want to continue my education. And I can think you can always redesignate the 529. I, I just really think the tax benefits are great, especially the New York State one. Go to choose a good website to check out that can give you some more information on 529s and probably even some articles about the 529 versus the Roth IRA is collegesavings.com. All right, Annie, good luck. And uh, how fun is it having a 13-month-old? My son is talking a lot, not real words, but just gibberish. Like the other day, he's saying, baby, 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 baby. And now he's doing this really cute thing with his hands where he gestures like, I don't know. I don't know. It's just so cute to see them learn and pick up things. And apparently one day he's just going to start walking and talking, which is kind of scary. No warnings, just he's going to start doing it. So I'm curious um, how your daughter is developing. It's funny how to see it's all different. 13 month olds, some are walking and running. Others are still crawling like my son. So 
<clears throat> it's it's just a fun age to watch them grow up. And um, good luck with however you decide to uh, manage her college savings. And that's a wrap, everyone. Great, great questions. Really appreciate the time you took to spend with me and to everyone who wrote in. I love your questions. Keep them coming. Go to somoneypodcast.com. Click on Ask Farnoosh, and that's where you can ask me a question, and I will respond on the weekends. All right. Have a wonderful rest of your weekend. Hope it is so money. So money.